Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Did you know that 90% of the wine made in the U.S. is produced in California, but only 10% of the state's wineries are led by female winemakers? Despite the odds being stacked against her, Jill Russell didn't let discouraging stats keep her from pursuing her dream of becoming a winemaker. Jill first discovered her passion for winemaking while serving at a restaurant in high school, and then she went on to study wine and viticulture and apprenticed as an assistant winemaker for nearly eight years, including stints in both Australia and France. And then she went on to earn the position of winemaker. Today, she has a seat at the table at the women-owned, women-led Cambria Estate Winery, one of the few wineries that are tipping the male-dominated industry stats in the right direction. But of course, the journey from server to lead winemaker isn't as smooth as it sounds, and certainly not as smooth as the well-crafted glass of wine she makes. So for this episode of Work Party, I'm sitting down with Cambria's lead winemaker, and asking her to spill all the details on how she worked her way up from the bottom to shatter the wine industry's glass ceiling and land her dream job. So crack open a bottle and let's get right into it. Okay, welcome Jill to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Um, with everything that we do at Work Party, we really like to kind of talk about the experience of getting from A to Z. So, you know, obviously when you were growing up, you grew up in California and you discovered your passion for wine at a young age, being a server at a local winery when you were in high school. So can you tell us a little bit about how you went from serving wine to making wine? Yeah, it's an interesting, a lot of winemakers are, it's a second career or they didn't go to school for it. But I did discover it early on, and I feel very lucky that I've been able to get into the scene at an early age. Um, you know, I was in high school, so I wasn't even 21, but I just fell in love with the food and wine scene and driving to a beautiful vineyard every day, so or every weekend, I was still in school. So falling in love with the beauty of a vineyard, um, and then just knowing I wanted to get into that scene, you know, maybe be an event planner at a 
winery or a vineyard manager. I threw around a lot of ideas and Cal Poly in California, San Luis Obispo has a program where it actually, you, you study wine. So it's like a perfect major for me. I, my older brother went there. I knew I wanted to go there and I knew I, I had to go for this major and it was great to be able to study all aspects of it. So talk to us about what a wine major entails. Cause I'm sure a lot of people just think it's about drinking wine <laughs> all the time, but what were some of the things that you learned there? Yeah, some of my um, dormmates definitely made fun of my books. Like one of my books was called The Wine Bible, which if anyone wants to go deep into learning about wine, it's a great book. <laughs> um, so my books were very different than everyone. But um, Cal Poly, it was a three-part major. So you got into viticulture, so the vineyards, enology, which is the winemaking, and wine business. So, you know, taking marketing classes, but they're more focused on wine or, um, you know, it was kind of all aspects. So I like that it got you into everything. Um, you know, they even had us working in the vineyard. So my plan of being a vineyard manager quickly changed after they made us hoe all quarter. And I didn't really like being hot and dusty, but luckily I found the winemaking, um, pretty, I was pretty passionate about it and, um, did a quarter, for a winery, working in the winery. And really, I liked the hard work, but being in a temperature controlled winery. But yes, some classes actually were titled sensory analysis. You had to be 21, of course, and I would carry my six wine glasses to class. And it really helped you understand how to pick up flavors and, you know, the aromas and the taste and how to you know, go through a wine. Um, it wasn't, of course you had to spit and there was rules, but, um, that was a, another class that my friends would make fun of me. Like you're going to go to your wine tasting class, but it was some of the hardest classes were soil science and you know, there's horticulture, crop science. There's a lot of, it was a very science driven major. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that it combined, you know, both the business aspects of the wine industry, um, as well as the soil, you know, so it yeah. really sounds like it was all encompassing. So your first job out of college was an assistant winemaker slash apprentice to Stephen Ross Wine Cellars, which is in San Luis Obispo. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned while apprenticing in that position? And do you recommend that for anyone who wants to be a winemaker to apprentice? Yeah, I think a lot of people think you can just graduate and become a, a winemaker. And I mean, if you have tons of money and can buy your own vineyard and buy your own winery, like go for it. But you definitely have to start from the very bottom. So that job was a great position to get into right out of college because not only was I, it was a small family owned winery. So it's the winemaker is also the owner. And not only was I working in the winery with him, I was also working in the tasting room, you know, cleaning the bathroom, scuffling the floor. So it's a little bit of everything. And I think that you need to do some of that dirty work and uh, work your way up and just be open to anything that, you know, comes with the whole wine industry. Yeah. I mean, and it's the same for honestly every job. Like I always joke that, you know, with creating Cultivate and even my first business, like I was HR, I was the bookkeeper, I was the salesperson, I was the social media manager. So, you know, it's being able to do all those jobs. And then once you're, you know, you find what you're good at and you kind of like, you know, stay in that lane, at least you know how to operate all those other ends of the business as well. Exactly. Because you can make good wine, but you have to also know how to sell it. You can't just make it. Right. Wine. <laughs> 
All right. So after working as an assistant winemaker for almost eight years, so very, very long time, um, you landed the role of winemaker at Cambria Estate Winery in 2017. Can you take us back to that moment you found out you got the job and tell us what the application process was like? Like, how do you become the winemaker? Yeah, so I actually was really happy with my position. I was assistant winemaker for a really great winery down here in Santa Barbara. I I had a great working experience. Like I was loving it. And when I saw the posting for Cambria, so in Santa Maria Valley in the same region I was working in, I was thinking like, oh, I might not be ready for winemaker. But all my friends were kind of pushing me. Again, they're like, it's your time. And to be a head winemaker is pretty hard. You around here, you kind of just have to start your own, um, start your own label when the people I've worked for, their name is on that bottle. So whether I moved my way up and became associate winemaker and respected in the industry for working for these owner winemakers, they were always going to be the winemaker and their names on that bottle. So it was a chance to become a head winemaker without starting my own project, which again, you need a lot of the funds and, and that's a lot of hard work. And I was like, it was a pretty much a dream opportunity that came my way. And it was a pretty intense interview process. They, um, multiple interviews and, you know, I had to present wines that I've made and they wanted to really get to know my philosophy and then make sure I can mesh well with the team. So the idea is there's a great team already in place at Cambria. So they wanted to make sure I'd get along with everyone. And even if I hadn't, didn't get the job, I was going to be so proud of myself for, you know, learning how to interview better. I think it's just a good thing to have um, for any type of opportunity to be able to go through those interviews. And you learn, I felt like I learned a lot about myself. And actually that same year was a year I was planning my wedding. So in the middle of interview, intense interviews, I actually, I think it maybe helped relax me that I also had a big life event happening. And I was, you know, I was going for my dream job, but I was also about to have my dream wedding. And I think that made, I mean, 2017 has been my best year ever. Just be, be getting this dream job and having um, a special wedding. It's great. So it was a pretty cool year. Hey, Work Party listeners. Let's take a pause from today's episode to talk about LinkedIn Learning. Our professional lives are looking a lot different these days. And LinkedIn Learning wants to provide you with the skills to keep things moving and propel your career forward during this time. LinkedIn Learning is an online educational platform that helps you discover and develop business, technology-related, and creative skills through expert-led course videos. With more than 16,000 courses taught by industry experts, you can discover, complete, and track courses related to your field and interests. You can learn how to perfect your work-from-home habits, build a strong entrepreneurial foundation, be a resilient leader, and so much more. Here's a sneak peek of one of the LinkedIn learning classes that resonated with me, called Creative Collaboration. Here's the problem. When we feel like we're supposed to be the super creative person who effortlessly generates great ideas, then we won't go out and ask for help when we're stumped. And we'll be hesitant to share ideas with others for fear that our ideas will be stolen. Here's the thing. Working in teams and generating and executing upon ideas together is one of the skills that we need the most right now. 
So keep learning the skills you need to rise to any moment and try one month free at linkedinlearning.com slash workparty. That's linkedinlearning.com slash workparty. That's so exciting. And, and yes, I think that's right. And so you mentioned your wine philosophy. So what would you say your wine philosophy is? So winemaking, if you look at it, there's, it's pretty simple. Like you can get some grapes, put it in a bucket and it's pretty much sugar is converting to alcohol. So it's a natural process that occurs. It's not that hard to grasp, but that's where it's going to smell like nail polish remover. It's not going to taste great. So what a winemaker needs to do is make sure that fermentation process from start to finish goes clean, goes smoothly. And um, really a lot of winemaking happens from the vineyard. So making sure you're working with great fruit from the beginning. It's hard to make wine out of bad grapes. If you're given great grapes, like I have at Cambria, we're a state grown produce. So it's total control. And that winemaker, we can have total control from the vineyard. So doing the right things in the vineyard, working with the vineyard manager and bring it into the winery. And I like to say I'm like, like a combination of agriculture, science, and there's the artistry. You do need the science. So all those science classes have helped me because you need to make a wine that is stable and sound. And, you know, we want to be able to ship this wine across the country and make sure it tastes good. It looks good. There's no crystals in it. So that's where the science comes in. But I also have been, I like to use the word energy, like bringing that into the winery is something important, making sure happy people make great wine. So making sure the team is, you know, well taken care of, and we all have a lot of fun together and making sure we show off the vineyard in that glass. So not over oaking it or adding too many things. We just want to represent the vineyard well. And I love being able to do that with the Cambria estate. So you mentioned uh, the team. So how big is the team? Who are sort of the key players? And what would you say, what kind of boss are you? So just at the winery itself, we have 12 seller employees. So working with the barrels and um, working on the wines. And then we have a lab that is running analysis. So again, like I mentioned, there is that science aspect and our tasting room. But what's great about Cambria is we have our marketing team, our PR team. And um, I feel very lucky that you know, when I've worked for these smaller wineries, I, you again, like we said, you're wearing all these hats and I love that there is a team for everything and I can focus on making the best wines. I'm not being pulled in another direction and having to go do something. And I might not be running the filter. Like we have a team that runs a filter or we have a team that does this where I used to do that at a smaller winery, but it helps me kind of be more big picture, plan for tomorrow, plan for next week, plan for the next months. And I think that helps make the best wines. And me as a boss, I've, I always took on a lead position at other wineries and I like it because I like control. <laughs> um, but again, I don't like to micromanage. I'm, I'm good at delegating. I don't put too much on myself. Again, there's a team in place everywhere for what's needed. So we're not 
spread out too thin. And so just making sure all those teams are working together and communicating and, you know, our seller guys care about what the marketing team's doing and, you know, how did my sales trip go? And, and then the marketing team cares so much about our team as well. So um, making sure connecting all those teams and just being able to um, plan. But yeah, I, it's a crew that's been there a very long time. So coming in as a new boss, it took some time, but uh, we are grooving now that it's in three years. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, and I understand that taking over a team and being at the helm of everything can be challenging. Um, you know, like you said, you have your dream job uh, from a distance as well. Hearing that someone's a winemaker, you're like, what? That sounds incredible. But what are some of the common misconceptions people have about your role? And can you share some of the less glamorous sides that people may not see on Instagram? Yeah, winemaking is not that glamorous and you definitely see the beautiful vineyard shots and we look like we're tasting wine all the time and just drinking wine. Um, But I would have to say, you know, during harvest, it's pretty seasonal. That is our busy time where we are working 12 to 18 hour days every day of the week because you're dealing with mother nature. So when the grapes are ready, the grapes are ready. And our operation, it can run 24 hours when it needs to. So those are the long days, those early, you know, I'm always driving at in the dark, you know, you're driving to work before sunrise and driving home after sunset. So those times can be hard and you don't really get that personal time. It's more just get home, eat, go to bed. And the conditions at the winery are cold and damp and dark. So being around, you know, you're on some walking around the winery, you're on cement. So you have to be all right being on your feet all the time in cold conditions. So sometimes when it those really cold days, you're like, oh my gosh. And then even out, but then you go out to the vineyard. So the winery is temperature controlled for a reason to make great wines. But then out in the vineyard, it might be really hot and dusty. And uh, our vineyard is right surrounding our winery. So going out to the vineyard, is something I do a lot and that can also be dusty and hot. So you're, the temperatures I have a hard time with going back and we're like hot in the vineyard and then cold and damp. And then I don't get my hands as dirty now, but winemaking, it's fermentation. So you can get some funky smells. So you're around some funky smells. What wine, um, the, the process can create something called lees, like wine lees at the bottom of a barrel. It's not a fun process to clean. And so there's a lot of um, winemaking, there's a lot of cleaning too. So it's definitely not as glamorous as it looks. We're not drinking wine all the time. And, <laughs> and, and when we're tasting, we're always sitting and it's actually exhausting. Like my husband will be like, oh, oh, I feel so bad for you. You had to taste through hundreds of barrels today. But really, you are thinking about every barrel and analyzing it. So you're tasting and then your mind gets exhausted too. So tasting is hard work and it's important. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that makes total sense. And I think that's so interesting kind of hearing, you know, the backside of it. It, It's the same thing with, I think, like Crate and Cultivate. Everyone gets to come to the fun, beautiful event, but putting the fun, beautiful event together, very challenging and not glamorous at all. Oh yeah. We went the day before and I loved seeing everything kind of like come into its own. That, I mean, I know it takes longer than the day before, but that was an amazing event. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, but it's, it's exact. It's a lot of like blood, sweat and tears, but only 
10% of the state's wineries are led by female winemakers, which is something I was very surprised to hear. So how can we encourage more women to become winemakers? And why do you think that size is so low? And can you tell us a little bit about your experience, you know, coming up as a female winemaker? Yeah, I think um, I'm lucky in our area. There's actually a lot of us, but it wasn't always that way. And I think just being an example and talking about it like we are today. And I know when I'm out, you know, my job is being at the winery, but I take the time to go out and travel and tell our story. And of course, the point of that is to, you know, show off our beautiful wines. But another part of it is we have a platform to talk about things that we are passionate about. And one of them is promoting that we are a female owned and run winery. So not only female winemaker myself, but the general manager, she's been there 20 years. She's of course female. And then our owners, Barbara Banky and then Julia and Katie Jackson are, um, you know, the vineyards are named after them. So we are loud and proud about it. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, do, do we need to, but going out and when people get so surprised when I say I'm the winemaker, it, I'm like, okay, we do need to be talking about this. And and I make sure to um, Cal Poly, I have a friend that's a, a teacher there. And he says there's a lot of female like girls in the major, about almost 50-50. But what we're seeing is they're not always jumping into roles. So he has me come speak, you know, any aspect of the wine industry, hospitality, anything to show there are positions, there are females out there and to be, you know, have an example and show um, you can get into this industry, even though it is male dominated. And I always, anytime I'm asked whether it's his class or there's a wine club on campus, I'm always jumping in and making sure to say like, yeah, this is happening. And I was very fortunate. We talked about Stephen Ross earlier. They actually even made a point to, there was a seller master and male, but everyone just would think he was the assistant winemaker and they didn't love that. And they were like, we just, they were actually very loud and proud about having a female assistant winemaker. And it kind of caught on to a little trend. And then sometimes I have winemakers go like, I want to hire me one of you. Like, what? And I'm like, great, I have friends. And so um, <laughs> it kind of has, it's like a little movement down here. And there's a lot of my friends are in the wine industry and I, it's lucky, but again, we, need to keep being an example and talking about it and showing that you can get into these type of roles. Yeah. We always say, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So, you know, having women in these roles, I think is super important as well. So I want to talk a little bit about sustainability. So Cambria has been sustainably farming for over 30 years. Can you talk about what that looks like, what that means and how, you know, you guys are really moving the industry forward and what the other sustainability initiatives you guys are working on that you're passionate about? Yeah. So it's, I was saying how we have this platform and we get to go out and talk about our wines. We get to talk about, you know, the female run and led. Uh, Another thing we are really passionate about is our sustainability. So especially the whole family, the daughters are really involved and their whole idea is being good stewards of the land and thinking about future generations. So when we're taking care of our vineyards and planting vineyards, we're, you know, making sure to take care of the land and it's a business. So some vineyards might go in and they want to pump out grapes just to, you know, sell. And we 
are making wine from our grapes. So we're going to take care of our vines so they last a really long time. There's companies in place that audit our vineyards and wineries. So locally, it's called SIP, so Sustainability and Practice. And then California is doing one as well, Certified Sustainable. So they're auditing every year your vineyard and your winery, not just what you're doing um, out in the vineyard, but also the community involvement. So which we're really big into. And I would say that's something I'm really passionate about is Cambria, they kind of promote us to get out into the community. And we take the whole team a couple of days, a quarter, we'll go do some community service, go to the food bank, go plant trees. And I think that we all can bond together and then feel really impactful in that moment. And so they want to be good to the community and for us too. It makes us happy that we are giving back and our team, um, I mentioned, have been there a very long time and our average tenure is 20 years. Two of our guys are celebrating 30 years this year, so definitely the newbie. But really showing that you know we make it a great place to work at and really sustaining our, our crew there too. So not just out in the environment, um, but again, Katie Jackson, who actually was a speaker at Create and Cultivate, and she's the leader of our sustainability department, she, it's, it's so cool. It goes like, again, above and beyond Cambria. But she spearheaded an international collaboration with um, the Torres family of Spain and it's international wineries for climate change. So just, I'm so inspired with what she's doing and really looking to tell the globe, like, let's recognize climate change and talk about things that can improve it. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, obviously sustainability is very much a buzzword, but obviously when you're seeing it in action, you really see the effects long-term on that, especially um, with a company that, you know, like you said, so much of, of it relies on the land, which is so incredible. So let's talk about wine. So what has been the most challenging wine in Cambria's lineup for you to create and why? So I mentioned earlier how Oh, you'll hear, you hear winemakers a lot say it's about the vineyard. So we have wines that are showcasing our single vineyard. So I talked about Katie Jackson and then Julia Jackson. So our Pinot is called Julia's Vineyard and our Chardonnay is called Catherine's Vineyard. So those bottlings are pretty, you know, I, the blending's fun, but that's showcasing the vineyard and being like, here you go world. Like these are our beautiful vineyards. And then we do some small ones for our tasting room, which those, they literally like talk about how this is some winemaker showing off. So when I first started, those were the hardest to make because it was kind of like, I need to be vulnerable and be like, this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to make. I've been lucky that 2017, 2018, and 2019 have been really beautiful vintages. So, you know, we talked about how you're dependent on the weather and the conditions. So I've been able to make some amazing wines, but those where I had to put more of a stamp um, and say like, this is why I did this. And this is why I chose these barrels. Again, I don't love always taking credit because there's a huge team behind making these wines. But when they're being talked about as this is Jill's stamp and this is the winemaker showing off, those I were harder to make because I felt like I knew I, you know, I really had to go out there and be vulnerable and be like, these are what I'm passionate about. I love that. And so 
on a podcast, you run a podcast called Two Glasses In, you said you'd love to be in your position for the next 30 years. So that's like another interesting thing about the wine industry. And you mentioned that some of the team has been there 30 years. In other industries, it's like you're lucky if people stay a year. Um, there is a lot of legacy when it comes to this. Can you talk a little bit about that and why um, you know, you'd know you want to be there for that long and how it's a sort of a longer term role and what industry changes you'd like to see over that time? Yeah, I feel like uh, wine making positions, you become really attached to those grapes, the team, and we tend to stay in our roles a lot longer. Um, like again, I was at five years, you know, every other, it's not just like jump year to year and it's just such a great family to work for. So knowing that usually winemakers are seeking out these old vines. So we have vines planted in the seventies. So I'm walking into a position where I first, I get to make world-class wines with world-class grapes and why would I go anywhere else? And I just feel like I just want to establish my roots here. Um, it's a great community in Santa Barbara. And I just hope in the future that I want to just keep elevating the reputation of the region, Santa Maria Valley. It's one of the oldest wine growing regions, second after Napa being in California. And um, so we have a good story to tell, but making sure to continue that legacy of the vineyard that we have with the family and also just the region as a whole and really try to continue to attract talent to our winemaking and vineyard team, keep growing the team in the future and really just kind of what the family is focused on. And I love it is that environmental and social responsibility. And, and I would hope that more and more wineries People are like thinking about this. Consumers are talking about it and wondering about it. And I think more and more wineries will continue. And I love that I'm working for, you know, kind of the leader of the pack. And I talked about Katie earlier, but Julia Jackson is, um, again, these girls are so inspirational. She's founded a nonprofit called Grounded. And it's pretty much a summit where she's bringing together scientists, activists, and like world leaders from all over to come together and discuss actionable solutions to climate change and increase global awareness. And I think it's great that they're kind of doing this right now. I mean, well, actually the past couple of years. And I just think into the future, I'm excited that we are already started down this path and just hope more and more wineries join us. I love that. And I, I think it's so great that, you know, again, like you said, there's so many women at the helm at Cabria in different positions and different roles, um, kind of spearheading things. So I want to also talk a little bit about the business of wine. So you obviously learned a lot about that when you were studying in university um, and then now obviously being in the industry. So one thing that I think people have a difficult time wrapping their head around is like, how do wineries make money at the end of the day? So obviously you have direct to consumer channels, there's distribution. Can you walk us through a little bit of like the different layers of the business? Yeah. So there's um, multiple directions you can go. And I'm lucky that Cambria, we are kind of, all at doing all aspects. And so it's a perfect example. The direct to consumer is our tasting room. Um, and you can come there, enjoy the wines, taste the wines. We have a great wine club. So that is a great way because you're getting um, 
people are paying a great price for those. And if you are gaining wine club members, those are automatic customers for the rest. If they stay in, they are continually to buy something, you know, every quarter, every half a year, you're sending out a shipment. So wine club members are very, very important. So if anyone wants to join, no, I'm just kidding. And then making sure um, to get out and distribution. I feel very lucky that I can fly to New York and be in a restaurant and see our wine. Like I sometimes get so excited when I'm like, oh my gosh. So having the distribution channels, we're lucky that we partner with them and the idea is they're out there being our representative. Anytime that myself or we have our lovely winery ambassador who travels a lot for us, anytime we can partner them and help them share our story is great. So then it helps them because we can get out and talk to as many people and share the wines. And then hopefully they learning our story and sharing it later down the road too. But, um, yeah, and even getting international, of course, everyone that could grow more and more, but um, getting out and about is again tricky with all the tariffs and taxes. And I think that could be a whole major for a wine major is going through all the compliance for shipping because it is an alcohol. So there's a lot of rules behind it. So it's not as easy as you think. You can't just go ship it to a certain state. Every state has their their rules and their, um, there was one class about compliance. I recommend that being a major for some. Yeah. You don't even think about all that kind of like the small little things that add up in such a major way, um, when expanding a product internationally and shipping, but also thank goodness for wine clubs. Cause honestly, it's what's been getting me through the quarantine. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm signed up for so many wine clubs. So, um, definitely check that out. That's great. And then we're just going to wrap with some sentence finishers. So are you ready? Sure. Yes. Okay. So the first thing I do in the morning is I hop in the shower. The number one tip for beating burnout is I love walking. So whether it's at work, out in the vineyard, or when I get home with my puppy. Oh, what kind of dog do you have? A little golden doodle. Oh, <laughs> the best. Yeah. Um, the strangest thing I've ever done for work is? Probably clean up after a wastewater spill. Ooh. <laughs> and the Cambria wine I recommend to everyone is? Uh, the Catherine's Vineyard Chardonnay. Oh, I mean, I'm such a huge Chardonnay fan. So I love that. Well, well, thank you so much for having us. I'm so excited once this is all over to head up and check out the winery. Um, And thank you so much. This was so informative. Yeah, thank you. It was fun chatting. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part Career Manifesto, part Practical Business Advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur the ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business.
Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.